while we continue in our time of worship in the Word. Aw, thank you. I commend you brave souls. Way to go. I cheer for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this is the very last message in the series that we started all the way back in January. Might seem like it's been going on forever. That's partly why we broke it up instead of a long 10-month series. It was broken into 12 mini-series that are all connected one to the other. Right? I'm going to try and walk around this table instead of just behind it. Because after all, it's not that there is a front, it's that there is a center, isn't there? And the center, by the way, not me, the center is what? Jesus. Communion, the remembrance of Jesus. So as we've been working our way through this series, we have seen that God calls us to follow Him. He calls us to grow closer in our relationship with Him. And there's many different ways that He calls us to do that. He calls us to follow Him by trusting in Him for eternal life. He calls us to follow Him. I'm not sure if the gym volume is still on, by the way. Is it off? Awesome, thank you. He calls us to follow Him by gathering together, by spending time in His Word. He calls us to follow Him by expressing our our spiritual gifts that He has given us in service to one another. And by the step before this, being involved in taking grace to our world. As we spoke in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this last step is the step that calls us to be involved with God, not just in helping people to know Jesus death and resurrection and trust Him for eternal life. Jesus doesn't just call us to go into the world and make believers of all nations. He calls us to make disciples of all nations, doesn't He? And so He wants us to go beyond just helping people to trust Him. He wants us to help people to follow Him, help people follow Jesus more. Because I didn't know if there would be anyone sitting there and I didn't want them to have to crane their necks backward. We're not going to have a whole lot of slides, but we are going to have open Bibles. So if you have God's Word, just hang out around the Gospels and Acts and we're going to be jumping around a little bit in there today. You know, this message as we're talking about discipleship and how we do that. I'll be honest, this is probably one of the more intimidating messages that I have done in a while. Um, and actually, I got stuck on this for a while, as Tamara can attest. 
It's hard to wrap my head around how to take a concept like discipleship and discipling people like Jesus did and express it to others. Which kind of makes sense because for a lot of us, we kind of understand what the gospel is and how to draw other people to Jesus. But it's part of what makes the idea of discipleship so intimidating for all of us, isn't it? How do I come alongside someone someone and help them to trust in Jesus more in their walk with him? We know it's something we should do, but it's not something that we necessarily know how to do. And so it almost becomes that the more we're told you should do this, if you don't actually know how to do this, it kind of almost just racks you with guilt a little bit more, doesn't it? It makes it that much more intimidating and it makes it that much more difficult. And in a way, it makes us that much less willing to even try to learn it. I think that part of that reason is because we don't understand what discipleship is. And it's a lot simpler than we think. We have a lot of misperceptions about the idea of discipleship. I want to walk through a couple of these misperceptions. Reasons that you and I, whether we speak it aloud and to ourselves or it's just like, ah, that I never said that before, but maybe it rings a bell, rings true. I would hope to be able to address that with you. One misperception a lot of us have about discipleship that makes us hold back and not really want to do it is the idea that I need to be super spiritual in order to disciple someone else, right? I need to be mature. After all, when I look in the Bible and see who discipled others, then I see Jesus, I see the super apostle Paul, and I'm not that spiritual, so how can I do that myself? We say, maybe I need to have a really deep relationship with God. Maybe I need to have been a Christian for twice as long as I have been. Maybe I need to go to a school and learn more about the Bible. Maybe once I know Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin, and about four other languages, maybe then I'll be ready to disciple someone, we say. Here's the thing. I know, and I know that each of you know, people who have been Christians for 40 years who are less mature than some Christians who have been Christians for four. Right? Time gives us more of an ability to grow. We have more of an opportunity to grow over time, but time does not necessarily mean you are going to be more mature. Right? So, Paul specifically says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but set an example for the believers in life and love and faith and impurity. And as far as education goes, some of us think, well, there's no way I can speak in front of a church like pastor is unless I have an education. Let me read to you Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. We might need to... Yeah, thank you. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Just when the church is brand new and they've had their first incredibly successful message about Jesus that brought three people into the church all in a day. They go and they perform a miracle. Peter and John perform a miracle to heal a man in the temple. And they get arrested. 
by the same people that they had run from two months ago because they, when they arrested and condemned and killed Jesus. These same religious leaders have now arrested Peter and John and they say, what are you doing? And when Peter and John talk, they start talking about Jesus and about Israel. And you know what they say? Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The very first leaders of the church, the very first preachers aside from Jesus, had no special education. Why do we then turn around in our church today, 2,000 years later, and say that you need some kind of special education? You don't need to be super spiritual in order to come alongside someone and say, Hey, let's grow closer to Jesus together. Let's have an intentional relationship. Another misperception you might have is you say, I can't because I have failed too much in the past. I have these stains upon my history and my reputation and my soul that prevent me from being able to come alongside someone else and say, you should follow me as I follow Jesus. And if you do that, with all due respect, let me ask you, have you read your Bible? Take a look sometime at the story of Abraham. Guy who gave his wife away to another person twice. How about David? He had some pretty bad stuff in his past. How about Jacob? How about Peter? How about Paul? All of these people had some pretty spectacular failures in their past. Reasons that they should have looked at themselves and said, God can never use me because of what I've done. Things that when you look at that, you might say, well, I've done some pretty bad stuff, but I didn't do that. But guess what? Those people with spectacular failures in their past are the same ones that God turns around and uses sometimes the most powerfully of all. How about this? I don't think I can do discipleship because I have struggles in my life right now. It's not my past. It's, it's my, there's something inside of me. Generally, you say, I, I can't do that because of my life situation. And so I just don't have this willingness to. Some, generally, that turns into either two kinds of forces that are keeping us at bay. Outward pressure or inward pressure. Outward pressure is when you just have so many things in your life going on. You're like, man, I would love to come alongside someone else. I would love to meet with someone and talk with them. But man, I've got work and I've got my kids' school and I've got all of these events. I've got these community events that I go to. I've got all these dozen different things that I do that are taking up my schedule and I just don't have the time to come alongside another Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, and say, let's just sit around together over coffee for 15 minutes a week and talk about Jesus. If that is the case, if your primary reason is I just have too many things going on, 
May I ask you whether or not maybe, and this is not a guilt trip thing, this is an honest evaluation, maybe instead of scheduling your priorities, you've turned instead to our natural default to prioritize your schedule. I wonder what would happen if you took two sheets of paper and on one page, page put down the things that are the most important to you. That one day on your deathbed you're going to say, these are the things that I want to have prioritized the most of my life. And then on a second piece of paper, put on your average day what you spend more than half an hour doing. And put in average, rough estimate, how much time you spend, prioritize that, and just see how well they match up. How much? Do they match up? Now, things like sleep and work, just discount those, okay? You need money, you need sleep, you need food. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the other things that we have a choice about. But you know, that's not always. Sometimes it's outside pressure. Sometimes it's internal pressure that says, I, I might be able to make that happen, but I just, oh, pastor, I just don't want to. I'm not a people person. I don't like being around other people, and I don't want to open up. Maybe because you just have something on the inside that is causing you to fear, that is pushing things away. Might be one of two reasons for that, generally, basically. One might be shame. You're, you're wanting to hide. You're going to say, if I, get you, if I let you come close enough to me, you will see things in me that I do not want to be seen. I have learned to hide myself from you. Because I believe that if someone sees me for who I am, they won't love me. Because, man, some of us believe if we're known that we cannot be loved. We understand that Jesus loves us and knows us. But let me tell you how wonderful it would be if there were someone that you were able to open up to. Not necessarily on day one, let me say, I'm going to spill everything. No, don't do that. But someone that over time, you say, I'm going to intentionally be vulnerable with you. And someone that, that can say, I, I know you and I love you. Shame. Maybe it's a sin in your life. You say, I just don't want people to know about it. And I'll just take care of that in my own heart. And then I will be able to let people in. If, you, if that is the case, let me ask you, how's that working out for you? Hiding your sin. Sometimes the pressure, though, comes not from shame, but from hurt. Say, I let people into my life before. I let people in and it hurts. And I let people in and they did things to me. They made me hurt in ways that I don't want to happen again. And so my solution is to never let people in. May I suggest that Christ came to heal the brokenness. And he uses that healing as we grow closer to one another. Be careful who you let in. Don't just let anyone in. Be wise. But it's not wise to keep everyone out. Another quick misconception is that no one will want to. If I go up to someone, if I close my eyes and spin around and I say, you, I'm going to ask you to, to be with me and, and we'll hang out together. I'm afraid that if I do that, they're going to say no. But I wonder, if someone came to you, even someone that you didn't know, and said, you know what, I would just love 
just to get together for 15 minutes a week. And let's sit over coffee and trinary toast. And let's just pray for each other. Despite any age difference, any difference in maturity level, I bet that you would have a hard time turning that down yourself if they approached you and said they really cared for you and they just wanted to spend some time. But someone has to take the first step. And it's better if, it's, if someone chooses to take that first step. I don't know if you know how many times I have heard people say, Pastor, I love Rock Bible Chapel, but one of my biggest struggles is I feel lonely. I just don't feel like I have a relationship with other people. And that hurts, and that's hard, but what makes it hardest is the fact that I hear it from so many people. And I stand up here and I say, reach out to someone. And then I have more people come and say, I'm lonely. You need to reach out. Someone needs to take that first step. And that someone needs to be you. I'm going to point to each and every one of you. Or it won't happen. Finally, I won't have time to actually read the verses for this. Final misconception that we have about discipleship is we have an idea that it is a light switch. An on-off, yes-no type of mentality. That either it is no or it's yes. I'm either a disciple and I'm doing really great and I'm super spiritual and mature or I'm not. There is a yes-no part of our relationship with God and that is having eternal life. The moment before you trusted Jesus for the first time, you were off. You were no. You were separated from God and dead and under His judgment. The moment you trusted in Jesus, you had eternal life. You were yes with God. You had His righteousness. You were His son and daughter. That was a yes and that will never be turned back to a no. You have eternal life and that promise. But discipleship is not a light switch. Discipleship is a dimmer switch. Our relationship with God and our experience of that fellowship. Do you know that Jesus didn't call his disciples once? He called them like six or seven times. Immediately after his baptism, he sees his disciples and they say, Hey, what's going on? Jesus says, Come and see. He calls them just to follow him. After his time in the wilderness, Jesus finishes that time and he sees Peter and James and John and others by a boat and he says, Follow me. Not a call just to come and see, but a call to actually be with Him. And they say, yes, discipleship, call to discipleship. Later on, while Jesus is actually in the middle of His ministry, preaching to crowds, His disciples who have been following Him are out doing some fishing. They did some fishing overnight. They caught nothing. I'm sure that none of you ever had that experience. And Jesus says... Throw your net over one more time. They're like, oh, I just finished cleaning all my stuff, Jesus. But fine. More than they can possibly bring into the boat. And Peter falls to his knees and says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, you are fishing for fish. You're going to be fishing for men now. Follow me. Call for discipleship. Another time, Jesus has just shown himself in the Mount of Transfiguration in all of his glory. 
And then he comes down, he's talking to his disciples, and he reveals to them that he's going to be arrested and crucified and die and be resurrected again, and why this must happen. And Peter comes alongside, stands in front of Jesus and says, no, that's not going to happen. Not if I have anything to say about that. And Jesus says the words, anyone know? Get behind me, Satan. Which we look at, and it's almost like Jesus is charging forward. He is like, you're an obstacle in my path. I don't care about you, Peter, right? You're Satan. But the word Satan literally actually translates to enemy. And it's interesting, because the very next verse, do you know what he says? He says in that verse, get behind me. And then he turns and looks at the rest of his disciples, and he says these words. Same Greek word. If anyone wants to get behind me he should deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Even in confronting Peter when revealing something, he wasn't even then saying, just, I don't care about you, get out of my way, Satan-filled person. No, he was saying, Peter, follow me. Count the cost of discipleship. Commit to it. Follow me. And even when Peter failed him, Peter has so many examples. He's a great guy. Examples so many of times he messed up. And then Jesus turns around and shows him grace. Even when Peter fails him at his moment of greatest need, he said, I will never leave you. And then he turns around and denies Jesus three times in the middle of Jesus' trial. And he does it three times. Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And we think he looks at him with judgment. I don't think so. Because the moment that Jesus is able to have a conversation with Peter alone, he, for the three times that Peter denied him, he says... Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three denials, three chances to say to Jesus' face, I love you, Jesus. And then you know what he says? Feed my sheep. Because even though you failed me, worse than anyone else except Jesus, I want you to be a leader in the church. The call to discipleship is not a yes-no on-off. Either you go from baby Christian to amazing. No. Call to discipleship always happens at our point in life. He is not calling us like this is a step saying, step up here. He just calls us to take the next step, guys. Every time. So real quick, because it is really simple, how do we do discipleship? You know, I never thought I could cook anything more than hot dogs for a really long time until there was a time when Tamara was going to make some queso soup. And she said, Adam, um, I'm not going to be home in time. Can you make this? I'm like, no, sorry. But she said, here's a recipe. And so I got out all the ingredients. And I was like, I can at least get the ingredients out for her. And I looked at the recipe and it said, put in the chicken with the broth and these spices and these measurements. I'm like, well, I can do that. I was like, do this, do that, do that. And then suddenly we had queso soup. And I'm like, I can cook! It's kind of like with that Tom Hanks movie where he says, I have made fire! I had that moment myself. We think that discipleship is so hard that we can never do it. Guys, it only comes down to three ingredients. Three ingredients for a discipleship relationship. Three. Ingredient number one. Time. Well... I'm not doing numbers by priority. God is obviously the most important. Time is the, most Im- or is the first thing that we need to do. If you want to disciple someone, if you want to have that relationship where you're drawing someone closer to Jesus, you need time. 
And it's the kind of time is important too. Dan, you teach people music, right? If, which would you rather hear from your student? Would you rather hear them say, I practiced one day a month for three hours, or I practiced an equivalent amount of time, but I did 10 minutes every single day? Which is better? Yeah, why is that? Yes. Regular, consistent time is key for everything that you want to learn. And so if you're doing discipleship, it means that you need to be gathering together with people on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be every day, but find an amount of time that you're willing to gather with someone and say, I'm going to meet with you on a regular, consistent basis. And guess what? When you're talking with someone, at some point someone's going to turn around and say, I don't feel like doing this anymore. Like, oh, I just have too much going on in my time and suddenly you've missed three weeks. That is when if you love that person, if you say this is important for me and my encouragement as well as for yours, you say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to let you just give up on this. I am committed to you and I'm going to do this. You don't force them into it, but you let them know this is important and I want to do this. And you figure out ways to have there be time. Consistent time. Ingredient number two, beyond time, is honesty. You'd be surprised how many other people share your struggles. They say that there's no temptation that sees you except what's common to man. I think that goes for all of life's struggles. I don't think that there are many people who would be able to say to me, Adam, I have this struggle that I've just been hiding for so long, and I'll be like, oh man, I have never heard of anyone having that struggle before. Don't have to spill everything on day one, but if you're doing this, I want you to think about trying to intentionally share your life with other people. Below the surface, bit by bit until they know you, warts and all. Because there is nothing quite as amazing as knowing that there is someone who knows you, who knows your faults, your failures, your warts, and everything about you, and loves you more, not less, for the telling of it. It hurts to hide in the long run. None of us does well when we're living life alone and all of our friends only know us on a surface level. Because guess what? If I come to church and I wear a mask over my face and I say, I'm doing fine, and everyone loves church Adam, but no one knows Adam without the mask, guess what? When people love you, they love the mask, don't they? Don't you want someone who loves you? You might not feel like you can do that with everyone. But man, find someone. Time, honesty, and the final ingredient is talking to and about God. Because guess what? If you just gather together with someone and you're just honest, but you never turn it about God, that's kind of called gossip. That's not really a necessarily a healthy, growing relationship. There are people who have healthy relationships where they just gather together, they talk, and they enjoy life, and they're honest with each other, but they never talk about God. There is something about when you come together and you say, 
let's just, I don't know, open the Bible. Let's take a look in Colossians. Let's read six verses and say, what do you think this means? And how is it encouraging you? I got three rules. I, when I open a passage, I say, how does it help me trust God more? How does it help me love God more? And or how does it help me follow and obey God more? One of those three things. Every passage is going to do that. Open the Bible. Take time to focus your, direction, your conversations toward God. To say, let me tell you in the middle of your story that God still loves you and God has shows you grace and this is who you are in Christ and you need to remember that. Maybe pray together before, after, and during the study and say, let's, let's take a moment and talk to God. Discipleship isn't really that difficult, guys. If you can spend consistent time with someone being honest and talking about God, that is discipleship. That is what God wants for you and for me. And that is not something he calls a pastor and an elder and maybe a deacon to do. That is what he calls every single one of us to do. Not only for the benefit of the other person. Paul discipled Timothy, but Timothy was also a huge encouragement in Paul's life. Remember, as we close, only God is infinite. There is not one person aside from God that you will ever know who does not have limitations. And limitations are not bad. We are all created with them and mine are different than yours. And yours are different than each other's. None of us will ever reach perfection. We will never reach a point where we have nowhere else to go in our relationship with God. We were not designed to. So if that's true, if only God is perfect, if we all have limitations and we are all consistently called to draw closer to God again and again, you can almost say the journey is the destination. And you are, as long as you are taking that next step toward Jesus, you are right where you're supposed to be. God hasn't designed us to grow to maturity by ourselves. We grow by growing in our relationship with Him. And we grow, listen, listen, listen. We grow in our relationship with Him by growing in relationship with one another. So as we close, and we don't have communion, so it won't be another ten minutes, I promise. As we close in prayer, I ask you, who will you meet with to encourage them and to be encouraged by them in your own relationship with Christ? I want you to think about that. This is perhaps one of the most important commitments that you can make. One of the most important things in your life that you can choose to start doing beyond believing in Jesus. It's never too late. Do it today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you. You didn't just come. You didn't just show up one day and say, here I am, I'm going to die for you. And then you died and then you rose again and said goodbye. No, Jesus, you came, you ministered, you ministered to crowds, but you also had disciples, people that you brought into your life 
to be with you, to learn from you. Jesus, you then turned around and before you left, your last, some of your last words were to say, what I have done to you, I want you to do to others. I want you to make disciples. You call every one of us to be involved in that. Jesus, help us to understand this gift of discipleship that you have given to us. And help us to take that step, trusting that what you say is best for us truly is. Jesus, we love you, we trust you, and we follow you. Jesus, we give you this time, we give you our lives, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand for that benediction. I don't think we have time for the last song, so let's get over Now, to him, who by the power that is working within us, is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. All God's people said, Amen. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Who knows what the church will look like.